Well, today we want to talk about sometimes I find it hard to forgive. And I know I'm not the only one who could say that. Over the last 50 plus years of ministering, I have noticed that the number one reason for believers not growing in their faith is that they do not have a deep assurance that they are totally forgiven. Forgiven of everything in their past, forgiven of any sin or misstep in the present, forgiven of any sin or slip-up that might happen in the future. And because they don't feel forgiven, because they have not and do not experience this sense of freedom from the burden of sin and guilt, they find it very difficult, if not impossible, to totally and permanently forgive others. And that is very troubling, deeply troubling. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 12, And forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Another version would use the word debt. Our forgiveness, it seems, is conditional and proportional to our ability and willingness to forgive others. So just as we cannot properly love God or each other until we have experienced the unconditional love of God, we cannot forgive others until we have received forgiveness, experienced forgiveness, based in the fact that Jesus, because he loves us, forgave us totally. So we experience love, and then we can love ourselves and love others. We experience forgiveness, then we can forgive ourselves and forgive others. And then as we continue our walk with the Lord, being loved, being forgiven, God can then continue to forgive proportionately according to how much we forgive others. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, that if you've been forgiven little, you will love little. And if you've been forgiven much, you will love much. Paul, an early disciple of Jesus, who had much to be forgiven for, because before his conversion, he persecuted believers, and he was responsible for the imprisonment of many and for the death of some. He experienced and knew and walked in total forgiveness. Paul writes, Ephesians chapter 4, chapter 4, the book of Ephesians, verses 25 to 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. God expects us to forgive others 
as we have been forgiven unconditionally, totally, freely. And as I've mentioned, he has forgiven everything, past, present, and even into the future. The Apostle Paul was a legalist prior to meeting Jesus and experiencing the radical power of forgiveness in Jesus. In Acts 7, Stephen, a deacon in the early church, preached an amazing sermon. And to silence his preaching, under the direction of Paul before his conversion, an angry mob cast him out of the city and stoned him. Paul oversaw this mob who stoned Stephen and proved of their action, approved of their action. As the book of Acts states and relates, And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Forgive them. And when he had said this, he died. That's in Acts chapter 7, verses 58 to 60. In his moment of death, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, forgave Saul, who became Paul, for murdering him and prayed that God would also forgive Saul. And God answered Stephen's prayer because Saul became a Christian, experienced forgiveness of all his sins, including the sin of stoning of Stephen, and changed his name to Paul because now he was a new creature in Christ. More than most, Paul experienced and knew the power of forgiveness. You are forgiven in Christ. And so we first need to seriously experience God's love, which includes his forgiveness. We need to encounter and grapple with the truth that God in Christ forgave you. Jesus shouted from the cross as his final words in triumphant victory, It is finished. At that moment, the wages of sin were paid in full, and sinners were totally forgiven. God, in Christ, forgave you. We need to understand this amazing truth. We need to receive this amazing truth. More than receive it, we need to appreciate it. Then and only then can you extend forgiveness to others as Christ forgave you. And to accept God's forgiveness while refusing to extend it to others, is hypocritical and wrong, and eventually leads to anger and bitterness and a serious lack of excitement and enthusiasm in your walk with Jesus. I love to garden and grow flowers. I call it the adult format of playing in the dirt. And I learned early in my gardening career that when I'm weeding the garden, I need to pull the weeds up from the root. Otherwise, they grow back, they grow back quickly, and they grow back deeper and stronger in the root system, and therefore bigger and larger above ground. And God, through Paul, says that we only have two possible responses when it comes to those who've sinned against us, forgiveness or bitterness. And like weeds, the Bible tells us that bitterness has roots. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and by it many become defiled or hurt. Consequently, 
when others sin against us, hurt us, speak against us, we can whack away at the surface our frustration, our disappointment in that person, our anger, our hurt, our sadness, or we can pull up our bitterness before it takes root. Like my garden weeds, if you don't pull up the root of bitterness, it invariably returns bigger and stronger than ever. And like my garden, the longer you wait, the harder it is to pull it up. So don't let the sun set on your anger. As a general rule, bitter people have good reason to be angry. They have been sinned against. The sin may have been something catastrophic, such as adultery, abuse, or damaging gossip. Or the sin may not have seemed like a big deal from the outside, but the pain it caused is severe because the person who caused it was loved and trusted and given privileged access to your soul. Bitterness, the result of not forgiving, is often related to how much you love the one who offended and hurt you. You know, if a stranger sins against you, you are unlikely to become bitter. But if someone close to you, a friend, a family member, sins against you, you are likelier to become bitter because you have higher expectations in and for the relationship. Those we love the most are the likeliest candidates for causing bitterness, and that includes bitterness against God. In dealing with our potential unforgiveness and bitterness, Paul called upon us to put away lying and to speak the truth. That was at the beginning of the verses we read, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. To do that, we must be honest about some of our most painful memories. We must ask soul-searching questions and get beyond simply saying we're fine. Again, in our lead scriptures, Paul was clear that if bitterness isn't exchanged for forgiveness, it grows and becomes increasingly devastating to both you and others. And he listed a pattern of that growth that proceeds from bitterness. If we don't deal with the bitterness, the root of the bitterness, then we will end up with anger. But before that, we have wrath. So wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let me read them to you again. The pattern that proceeds from bitterness is wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. When we are bitter, we refuse to forgive, and wrath develops when becoming irritated, agitated, and you can feel your blood pressure rising on the inside. And if that wrath isn't dealt with, unrighteous anger grows out of that bitterness and causes us to be furious with someone, motivated to harm him or her in some way. And that will lead us to clamor, Clamor means that our anger can no longer be contained and we engage in a conflict with others for the distinct purpose of harming them emotionally, even physically, which leads to slander. And slander occurs when in an effort to vindicate ourselves and vilify others, we gossip about them, seek to ruin their reputation. And all gossip, when listened to, by the way, alters and often ruins the relationship the listener has with the person who offended you. And that leads to malice. Malice manifests when we invent ways 
of doing evil to punish those against whom we're bitter, regardless of the personal cost to ourselves. And the entire goal of this whole process that arises out of our bitterness, lack of forgiveness, is to make those individuals who have hurt us lose, even if that should mean that we lose as well. At the point of malice, people are capable of horrific evil, and people are capable of out-of-character conduct that is oftentimes hard to even imagine. Sometimes the cycle of bitterness can move very quickly, like a raging fire, over the course of minutes or days. Other times, bitterness soldiers slowly over the course of months or years. If we are honest, we are all bitter at various times in our lives. And in those seasons, we tend to blame others for our bitterness. The truth is the people, even the worst of them, don't embitter us. Rather, they provide us an opportunity to choose to either forgive or be bitter, and we remain personally responsible for which option we choose. That's why Paul said in those verses, don't, don't miss the grace that God is pouring out on you. So you can be angry and, don't, and you cannot sin. A common word of advice to those who are bitter and angry is that they shouldn't be angry about the wrongs they have suffered. That counsel is both unbiblical and unhelpful. Paul didn't write, don't get angry. He said, be angry and do not sin. He accepted anger as a legitimate emotional response to being hurt and offended, sinned against. But he also warned us to be careful not to accept or empower that anger that comes out of being hurt or offended. He tells us to harness the energy of our anger towards righteousness, rather than letting it fuel our fall into clamor and slander and malice. So he tells us to not let the sun go down on our anger or our wrath. We are not to let anger rule us, set up camp in our souls. We're to take our anger to God and by the power of the Holy Spirit seek to deal in a just way with the issues that have caused the anger and the bitterness. When our anger rather than the Holy Spirit rules us, we become the kind of quick-tempered, hot-headed person the Bible warns against. The Bible calls this person a fool. So when our anger, rather than the Holy Spirit, rules against us, we become the kind of quick-tempered, hot-headed fool the Bible warns against. Proverbs 14, 17. 17 sorry. A man of quick temper acts foolishly. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So let me stop for a second and say that we need to note that there are three kinds of anger in the scriptures. Unrighteous anger, which is only concerned with our self-absorbed, self-centered issues, and really does not care about the other person or any person. Self-directed anger. Anger directed at oneself, and it's an expression of our not caring anything about ourselves. And then righteous anger, 
which is healthy anger that seeks to protect everyone involved and is disciplined in its actions, all of which are based in love. Paul exhorted us to urgently deal with our anger. Don't wait for the day to end to address it. Otherwise, it will consume us. Failure to deal with our anger, he said, grieves the Holy Spirit because the Spirit desires and is able to help us to work through our anger and our bitterness. He wants to help us so that Satan doesn't have a foothold in our soul. So practically, there's some things we can do. You need to take some time to pray about things before the sun sets. Clear your head so that you're thinking rationally. Calm down. Your anger will not benefit anyone, including you. Seek wise counsel and then jot down a few thoughts so that when you go and talk to the person who has offended and hurt you, you can engage constructively in a conversation. Remember, the longer you wait, the more ground we give the enemy in our lives. And truly, the only helpful answer to our bitterness and anger is the gospel. Paul put it another way from our lead scripture, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's the gospel. You may have valid reasons for your angry bitterness. Maybe the person has yet to apologize. Maybe they never will. It may be that you know they won't respond to your forgiveness. But Paul states we are to get rid of all bitterness, verse 31. So even if the other person is at fault, even if the other person will never change, we are still called upon to forgive everyone and everything. We are to forgive one another, even as God in Christ forgave us. And when we forgive others, it has very little, if anything, to do with them. Instead, it has everything to do with God and you. Forgiveness is an act of worship. And we must respond to sinners as God responds to us as sinners, with forgiveness. And in forgiving them, we're leaving the situation in God's hands, and we're freeing ourselves from the death grip of anger and bitterness. You cannot accept forgiveness from God without extending it to others. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Seven things forgiveness is. Forgiveness, by the way, is both a decision and a process. You make a decision to forgive and it takes time to allow that forgiveness to go deep into our hearts. How do you know when you have totally forgiven someone? It's simple. When you're praying for them and asking God to bless them, the feeling of hurt, the feeling of anger is no longer there. As long as there's still a feeling attached to your praying for that person, you have not totally forgiven them. So seven things forgiveness is. Number one, forgiveness is canceling a debt owed to you. When someone sins against you, a wrong is committed and a debt is accrued. In forgiving others, you relinquish your right to make them repay that debt. In other words, you relinquish your right 
to allow them or to cause them to suffer the consequences for what they did. You basically cancel the debt they owe you. That's what Jesus did on the cross for you. Number two, forgiveness is removing the control your offender has over you. Forgiveness is removing the control your offender has over you. So long as your offender remains unforgiven, they continue to loom large in your life by maintaining an emotional presence. And through forgiveness, you not only free them from their debt to you, number one point, but also emotionally free yourself from them. Because unforgiveness is like drinking poison in the belief that it will kill your enemy. Number three, forgiveness is giving a gift to your offender and yourself. Forgiveness includes the physical benefits of reduced anxiety, stress, and blood pressure. It includes the mental benefit of no longer obsessing over a person or an act, freeing you up to move on with your life. Forgiveness allows you to move from a life centered on pain to one centered on God and others as you regain emotional health, empathy, and perspective. And this improves all of your relationships with your friends and your family. So forgiveness is a gift to your offender, to yourself, to others. Number four, forgiveness is forsaking revenge. You give up the right to get even. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so when you leave this person who has offended you, hurt you, that you're angry at, in God's hands, you rise above the situation and allow God to work in their lives. If we seek revenge by feeding our rage and our anger, we become like the person who hurt us, self-interested and dangerous. The Chinese proverb, I know it's not biblical, the Chinese proverb, he who seeks revenge should dig two graves. Number five, these are truths about forgiveness. Forgiveness is leaving the situation in God's hands. And that can be difficult because it violates our sense of fairness and justice. But the Bible does promise that God will deal with everyone fairly and justly. So forgiveness means you recognize that God is in control and you're leaving the situation in his hands. Number six, forgiveness is often an ongoing process. In Jesus' time, a rabbinical teaching said that if you only had to forgive someone three times and after that, no more. And then we read Matthew chapter 18, verse 21-22. It says, Then Peter came and up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Peter was trying to be big in his own eyes, in the eyes of everyone around him. You know, I know the rules say you only have to forgive someone three times and then no more but I'm planning to do it seven times. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's unlimited. Seventy times seven. It's unlimited. This is a way of saying for Jesus' followers, forgiveness is unlimited. 
And then number seven, forgiveness is wanting good for your offender. In forgiving your offender, we change from wanting them to suffer and pay to wanting them to repent and change and be blessed by God's grace. Seven things forgiveness is not. Number one, forgiveness is not denying that you are hurt or offended. In forgiving someone, you don't say nothing happened or that it's no big deal. We're saying, I understand this as I have forgiven. I need to forgive. Number two, forgiveness is not enabling the other person's behavior. We can forgive while still being honest and truthful about a person's behavior and refusing to be a part of it any longer. Number three, forgiveness does not wait for the other person to repent and be sorry for their behavior. Forgiveness does not wait for the other person to repent and be sorry for their behavior. Sometimes a person will acknowledge they're wrong and ask you to forgive them. Sometimes they won't. Well, most times they won't. Sometimes the person has moved away and cannot be reached. Sometimes the person has died and you can no longer expect them to change. We are to forgive whether they admit that they, have, they were wrong. We are to forgive whether they admit that they hurt you. Christianity is unique in this way. Other major religions teach that you cannot forgive someone who has not apologized. That is not Christian. Number four, forgiveness is not covering up what happened. In fact, it is actually acknowledging that there has been a wrong committed against you. Number five, forgiveness is not forgetting. It is commonly held and believed that we should forgive and forget. Well, that's impossible and stupid, because if you forget after you've forgiven, that means you will allow the person to do it again. When God said, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more, that's Jeremiah 31, 34, he did not mean that he has no recollection, as it is impossible because God is all-knowing. What he means by not remembering anymore is that God does not hold that forgiven sin against us and does not keep it as the basis of our identity or interaction with us. In other words, he forgives the sins and then it does not affect the way he thinks of us, how much he loves us, and how he works with us. So we need to do the same. You don't need to forget. Never forget. Number six, forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness takes a moment. Trust must be rebuilt over time. Once trust is lost, it can take a great deal of time to rebuild. And number seven, forgiveness is not reconciliation. For reconciliation to happen, forgiveness must be given and then received by the other person. For the reconciliation to happen, a person who hurt you or offended you must recognize and own what happened and work towards actually changing their behavior. There is a need to reach a certain place in the forgiving process where change is apparent, and then together you can move towards reconciliation with the person who offended and hurt you. So let me wrap this all up. In Proverbs 18, verse 21, it states, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The two true test of whether or not we are bitter is our tongues. 
What do we say about the person who offended us? In public, what do we say about the person who offended us? When we're talking to our best friend, what do we say about the person who offended us? Do we pray for them? We should, you know. Paul said, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That was in our lead scripture, Ephesians 4, and that was verse 29 and 30. So even when the person against who we are bitter is not present, the Holy Spirit is, and he grieves, he is grieved, when we speak ill of others. How do you know if you're speaking ill of others? Well, I have noticed two common trends in the speech of those who are bitter. Number one, they're prone to nickname people against whom they are bitter. They give a demeaning new identity to the offender. And number two, they're always talking about the situation or the person. And Hebrews 12 again, verse 15, the root of bitterness has sprung up, caused trouble, and by it many become defiled. And you know, today with social media, this can become harmful and even destructive. So the bottom line is do not let the sun go down on your anger. You need to feel forgiven, receive forgiveness, embrace your forgiveness, and then turn around and forgive others in the exact same way that Jesus forgave you fully completely, freely, unconditionally.